Macrocast, the sound of the economic world, with Gilles Moeck, AXA Group Chief Economist. In Europe, the success of the new Teltro is a reminder of the extraordinary quantum of support provided by the ECB. Government guarantees on business loans contributed to this success. State support has incentivized banks to lend a lot since the beginning of the pandemic, helping them to qualify for the most favorable conditions of the Teltro. Still, even if we believe that pledging the government's balance sheet was the right thing to do in the emergency to ensure businesses could survive, the medium-term consequences of those guarantees need to be explored. Fortunately, we will not be alone in this questioning, and Apolline Menu, our Eurozone economist, will lend us a hand. It's Monday, June the 22nd. I'm Gilles Moeg, and you're listening to Macrocast. The ECB's new Teltro was a success last week, with a net take-up of 550 billion euros when considering previous operations winding down. The figure suggests that the take-up was not confined to the liquidity-poor banks in the periphery, but that many credit institutions in core countries also took part. There's definitely no stigma attached to tapping this facility, which is good news. The ECB had decided on April the 30th to bring forward to March the 1st, from April the 1st originally, the reference for the starting level of credit to businesses which would determine whether banks would secure the most favorable interest rate on their Teltro borrowing, minus 1%. This ensures that the record high flows of loans originated in March by banks will count towards their compliance with the benchmark. The government's guarantees on emergency loans were instrumental in allowing credit supply to respond to the unprecedented rise in demand stemming from businesses facing the disappearance of their cash flows. This was a necessary step at the trough in economic activity, but we also need to explore the medium-term consequences for the government's financial position. We think this has created a situation in which ordinary fiscal policy will be constrained to remain accommodative as long as the guarantees are live. Indeed, some of the benefit to public debt of converting to fiscal austerity could easily be lost to the resulting rise in non-performing loans. But before we explore this, we first need to get a general understanding of how those guarantees work. And for this, we go to Apolline Menu once again. Hello, Apolline. Hello, Gilles. Um, well, um, all European governments have offered guarantees on, on business loans. Um, do they all share the same characteristics? No. Uh, given the schemes are determined at national level, their features vary across countries. So you have different parameters, the pricing of the guarantee, the maximum amount per borrower, the eligibility criteria for companies to qualify, and the share of the loan that is guaranteed. So for instance, if we look at the latest parameter, the share of loan that is guaranteed, it can go up to 100% in Germany and Italy for small and medium-sized enterprises, while the maximum share of loan that is guaranteed is 80% in Spain. So it's, it's less generous. Uh, thanks a lot for that, Apolline. And uh, uh, the size differs across countries as well, right? Yes. Overall, the envelopes are huge. But here again, Germany is leading the way. So you have 86% of total corporate loans that could be covered in Germany. In Italy, it's around 71%. But the envelope is much smaller in France and Spain. In Spain, the government guarantee scheme is just 8% of GDP and could cover only 23% of total corporate loans. Thanks a lot, Apolline. Um, good, granular and comparable data on non-performing loans over a long enough period of time to estimate models do not come by easily. The ECB has started collecting and harmonizing data on this since it took over banking supervision. But so far, 
They have not provided back data for the period before 2014. We use the IMF dataset. It is quite imprecise, there is no breakdown across sectors, but it is enough to provide a plausible order of magnitude. After taking out the 2009 point for Spain from the sample, because the non-performing loan ratio rose by more than 200% that year uh, on the back of the housing crisis there, the correlation with GDP growth is very, very strong. A 1% decline in GDP would lift the NPL ratio by 6%. This is in line with a more comprehensive analysis conducted by the ECB in 2013, which did not isolate the Euro-area countries in their sample. They found an elasticity of 5 against 6 in our case. If we apply this elasticity to our GDP forecasts for 2020, the NPL ratio would then rise by between 30 and 50% across the four largest economies of the euro area in 2020. Of course, since the elasticity is calculated as a percentage change, the starting point matters. The December 2018 NPL ratio stood at only 1.2% in Germany, 2.8% in France, and 3.7% in Spain which would probably make the expected rise in NPL triggered by the ongoing recession, let's say, problematic but manageable. But Italy would find itself in a difficult position, with an NPL ratio rising to 13.1% from the already high 8.5% of 2018. Assuming the same proportion of delinquency rate is observed on the emergency loans covered by the state guarantee scheme, the Italian government could see its deficit rise by another 2.5% of GDP were the entirety of the envelope to be used, that is, 450 billion euros, 25% of GDP, with an average guarantee rate of 80%. What would happen if, post-COVID, the Italian government chose to embark on a fiscal austerity strategy to stabilize its public debt trajectory? In the current circumstances, a multiplier of 0.7 looks reasonable. That is, a fiscal tightening of 1% of GDP reduces GDP by 0.7%. Accordingly, Erasing the discretionary push of 2020 could lower the Italian GDP by 3.5% relative to a neutral policy stance trajectory. This would be spread across several years, but using again the same elasticity, cumulatively, the NPL ratio would then rise further by some 20%, potentially adding another 1.5% of GDP to the Italian public deficit through the guarantee system. This would be another channel through which a post-COVID fiscal consolidation could ultimately prove self-defeating. The immediate cost to growth would, as usual, offset some of the improvement in the discretionary component of the deficit, since the cyclical component would deteriorate because of the economic slowdown, but this time the rise in loan delinquency would add another source of leakage to the fiscal consolidation plan through the guarantee mechanism. The math is actually, and unfortunately, straightforward. Relative to a no-policy-change scenario, a discretionary fiscal tightening of 5% of GDP, taking the form of tax hikes or spending cuts, would lift the cyclical component of the deficit by 1.75% of GDP, and with the loan guarantees adding another 1.5% of GDP to the government's bill, this means that two-thirds of the initial fiscal consolidation effort would be lost we will be back to the same unhealthy spirals of the sovereign crisis of the last decade. Then, the main cause of leakage was the level of interest rates. Markets imposing a high-risk premium on the peripheral countries' funding costs, compounding the impact of fiscal austerity to trigger a double depreciation which nullified the fiscal consolidation efforts. 
the ECB's massive support this time has ensured us against that risk for the time being. But the loan guarantees add another hurdle to the fiscal trajectory of the most fragile states. Of course, there are technical limits to our approach. The starting point of the NPR ratio reflects a stock of delinquent loans at the point of observation. But these loans may have been originated a long time ago at a high interest rate. So it may be wrong to assume that the same proportion of the new emergency loans coming with concessionary interest rates will turn delinquent. Still, the behavior of banks in Italy would suggest that they are themselves expecting a high delinquency rate. The take-up of these loans has been remarkably slower in Italy than in the other euro area countries. This may reflect the fact that traditionally Italian businesses operate with a high level of cash buffers, but it's the case in France as well, and there the take-up has been significantly higher. If the entirety of the package is effectively originated, this would be equivalent to 71% of the current stock of loans to businesses in Italy. The level of guarantees provided by the state is high, but assuming an average of 80%, with a 13% delinquency rate, banks would still be on the hook for the equivalent of 1.8% of their business loan portfolio. One would understand that their appetite to lend more money may be limited, especially since the capacity to offload the NPL out of their balance sheet by sales to specialized funds, for instance, would probably be low in an environment defined by the pandemic-related uncertainty. We will monitor closely the data for credit origination in May to be released by the ECB this week to see if Italy is catching up with the other countries. In a nutshell, where businesses were already very fragile pre-crisis and the banking sector under stress, governments are left with an unpleasant choice. Either bring the guarantees to 100% to incentivize banks to lend more at the cost of a higher risk to their own debt sustainability conditions, or accept a low take-up of the scheme with more cash flow pressure in the business sector. The current discussions on establishing a specific bad bank to warehouse the loans turned delinquent because of the pandemic are welcome. But to effectively address the contagion effect on public debt dynamics in the most fragile states, some measure of mutualization of any public guarantee at the European level would be necessary. In any case, while we firmly believe those guarantees were the right thing to do at the worst of the pandemic shock, they cannot be perfect substitutes to proper stimulus. Moreover, the feedback loop between those guarantees, growth, and a fiscal stance in Italy is another strong argument in favor of the rapid implementation of the European Commission's Next Generation Initiative. As expected, no decision was made at the EU Council meeting last week on the Commission's Recovery and Resilience Fund, but it clearly was on everyone's mind. Reassuringly, Angela Merkel's statement confirms that she is still on the same wavelength as Emmanuel Macron on the issue, and that she is, uncharacteristically, ready to dramatize it, highlighting the depth of the crisis and the need for a swift EU-wide response. Meanwhile, the frugal four seem to be moving the goalposts. While the Swedish Prime Minister in a letter to the Financial Times at the beginning of last week was still restating the group's preference for loans over transfers, Austrian Chancellor Kurz and Dutch Prime Minister Hutte have focused in their latest statements on the issue of the calculation of the allocation key, as well as on macroeconomic conditionality. In our first assessment of the Commission's proposal in Macrocast, we made the point that the allocation key was more consistent with a giant cohesion fund fostering convergence across structurally unequal member states in the mean term than a quick response fund geared towards the countries which are suffering the most from the economic consequences of the COVID crisis. Indeed, allocation would depend on each country's share in the EU's total population, controlled for the relative level of its GDP per head. Countries 
with GDP per head above the EU average would receive less money, and for the relative level of unemployment. Countries with an employment rate above the EU average over 2015-2019 would receive more money. By focusing on the allocation issue while opening the door to accepting more grants than loans, the frugals can find allies. Ireland expressed its unease with the allocation put forward by the Commission. It is understandable. This country has been badly hit by the COVID crisis, having reacted with an early and severe lockdown. However, under the Commission's proposal, it would become a victim of its own success in dealing successfully with a sovereign crisis in the previous decade, having rebounded nicely and taken its unemployment rate below 5% before the pandemic hit. In the current version of the allocation key, Ireland would be a net payer into the Recovery and Resilience Fund to the tune of 4.5% of its GDP, a significant burden for a country which is facing a specific hard Brexit risk at the beginning of 2021, given its exposure to the British market. The debate may well move away from first principles towards apparently technical, but in reality very political issues. This would be consistent with a general agreement reached in July, but with many thorny details still left to negotiations, which would further delay actual disbursements in As you heard, uh, I'm a bit obsessed at the moment with uh, credit origination uh, in Italy, well, in the Eurozone in general, but in Italy in particular. Uh, On Friday, we will have um, new N3 data, and um, I will certainly uh, take a hard look at uh, whatever money creation we have in Italy. It would be nice to see that there is some catch-up on the take-up of those emergency loans. Uh, otherwise, uh, in Europe, we'll have uh, the PMIs, we'll have the EFO survey, we'll have the INSEE manufacturing survey in France. But as you know, I'm a bit skeptical about the explanatory power of those surveys at, at the moment. I would rather look at um, real-time data to check if uh, the economy continues to normalize. We talked exclusively about Europe this morning. But if you're interested in your humble servant's opinion on how the developments in the US suggest that we could look at the profile of the pandemic a bit differently from a month ago, I invite you to read the Macrocast newsletter. The link is in the description of the episode. If you're not tired after all this, I'll be very happy to talk to you next Monday. And in the meantime, have a great first week of summer. Macrocast, the sound of the economic world. Available every Monday on your podcast app.